Welcome to the Dreamcatcher Podcast, a place where you'll receive a boost of inspiration, practical advice, and tools to maximize your success and personal happiness. And that's not all. You'll also get plenty of guidance on how you can use your gifts, talents, and compassion to contribute towards making the world a better place. Be sure to sign up for our free weekly newsletter for a preview of what's in store and to also receive a free ebook. To sign up, simply visit www.thedreamcatch.com. Now it's my pleasure to introduce you to the host of the Dreamcatcher podcast, Celine Chinoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Dreamcatcher podcast, a place where your dreams can find a voice. Within you is a wellspring of strength and resilience, the ability to create and enjoy abundance, and an expansive sense of inner freedom and divinity. Yet after centuries of living in a patriarchal society, many women don't realize how powerful they are and how much they've been socialized to keep their true nature hidden. According to my guest, Acharya Shunya, All of us have the ability to break free from the shackles of patriarchy and awaken our inner power if we have the right inspiration. She'll share more during our conversation. Acharya Shunya is an internationally renowned mystic and a classically trained master of non-dual Advaita, Ayurveda, and yoga. The first female head of her 2,000-year-old Indian spiritual lineage, Acharya interprets and recontextualizes ancient teachings from modern times, empowering people everywhere to lead fearless, fulfilled, and enlightened lives. She is also the founder of the Awakened Self Foundation. In this interview, Acharya will introduce us to inclusive feminist spirituality inspired by India's primary goddess archetypes. Shunya will offer a profound process for awakening the many faces of the goddesses within us so that we can lead rich, powerful, and wise lives. If you like what you heard, please don't forget to like, rate, share, and subscribe to this podcast. Thanks. Hi, Acharya. It is so lovely to have you on the show. How are you? I am good. And thank you for having me, Selena. I look forward to our conversation. Yeah, I'm so glad that you were able to make some time to be with us. Um, I'm looking forward to talking to you about how we can all learn to roar like a goddess, which Mm -hmm. is the title of your latest book. And I have to say that I really, really liked your take on the Hindu goddesses and their symbolism, because I think that women today are in deep need of inspirational figures who can show them just how powerful they are. So I'm so delighted that you wrote this book. I am so delighted that you felt that way. And I want to tell you that it was not a book I premeditated upon to write. It almost felt like it exploded out of me like a roar. (laughs) And here's the book and and my life's changed because of it. It's, um, It's blessing me really in so many ways. 
Yes. And these goddesses are such powerful figures. And to just bring them out of these esoteric texts and bring them to life for the world to see, I think that uh, we really needed that. Right. Yeah. Those stories are magical and they really are transformational. And I, it really feels like everybody needs to be reading them, hearing them, talking about them, and literally bringing the goddesses out of uh, out of a tradition with esoteric language and symbols for our everyday understanding and assimilation. Uh, that was um, that's a work I'm proud of because I find that they're universal archetypes. And 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 I think they belong to all of us. Yeah. Yeah, they really do. So before we get into that, Acharya, I really want to know what inspired you to write this book? Why did you think it was necessary for all of us to know about the wisdom of the goddesses? And how do you think they're relevant to our modern times? Like I mentioned earlier, I didn't premeditate upon it. Um I'm going to ask our listeners to take a leap of faith with me when I tell them that I was actually working on another book. And it was Navratri, a nine-day goddess Vedic Hindu festival that I've been celebrating for the last 15 years with students around the globe joining me online. And it was one such festival two years ago, and I was really steeped in that energy and that vibration and a higher consciousness and I was working on an academic book on Vedic psychology. And um, that was not a time to start a new book. But Celine, I felt this inner calling that I need to start a new page and start capturing something from within me. And what came out was roar like a goddess. In four months, I completed the first draft, whereas for my other books, it's taken three years to two years. My publishers loved it. It's had uh, no interruption at any stage. And probably even if it was not in my conscious mind to write about Roar, to bring the goddesses as spiritual feminist role models for the world, I think at a subconscious level, it's my life. That's my voice. That's what I represent. And my higher self decided, um, let's just talk about it now. You've done your work. You've uh, you've push, pushed aside the cobwebs of conditioning, patriarchy, misogyny, and anything you may have dealt with. You're you you're experiencing rage, but not for yourself because you're feeling a hole, but for the whole world. Let's write this book, and it just flowed from me, Celine. It has never happened to me this way, where I was conscious. And I could bring elements of my own story and the stories of my students who have overcome disempowerment through these archetypes of the goddesses from India. But the imperative to write it and the urge to write it the way I did with such truth and vigor, it really feels a bit supernatural, I have to address. Wow. So do you think you sort of channeled that the book? At least I channeled the first um, first few pages of it. Like it was just like pouring out like a river had been held in and it like a dam had broken and my hands couldn't move fast enough. But it was not channeled in the sense that somebody else was dictating it to me and I'm the only, I'm just like merely a transmitter. 
I felt like my own higher self was using my mind and fingers to present something, sweep aside the older agendas to bring something forward. <laughs> yes, because you yourself have been on a journey on discovering your own inner goddess. Uh, in yeah. the book, you write that at some point in your journey, you recognize that you're not simply a devotee anxiously waiting to be redeemed by goddess's grace, but rather a roaring goddess woman herself, which I thought was very, very well well put. So could you please say more about that? Growing up uh, in, the, in India in a Hindu Vedic household, I actually have a beautiful goddess temple that goes back 380 some years in my home because India is an ancient culture. A couple mm-hmm. of hundred years is not a big deal in India. And my lineage actually goes back to 2000 years in India. And we have been teachers of non-dual wisdom, but at the heart of it is devotion to the Divine Mother, the Goddess, Durga, Lakshmi, Saraswati. Which part of India do you come from? Like, which I is come your from community? Ayodhya. I come from a holy town called Ayodhya, which is the birthplace of Lord Rama. And at the epicenter of the Hindu epic Ramayana, you may be familiar with it. Yes. Yes. And uh, so I and my ancestors have been have been in 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 uh, Ayodhya for a long time. In fact, one of our ancestors had an ashram in Ayodhya and it's mentioned in the Rig Veda. So we trace our lineage to that ancient history. And here I am, the first female head of that lineage and my grandfather, who was the the Acharya or the master before me, chose me from amongst various male students, disciples, and boys of the family. I was the one he trained and groomed to step into this. Probably he knew that I would be the right person for this this work that has to be done in this century, where women and people of non-binary genders, fluid genders, have to come into an equality that is um, that is all 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 pervasive. It's not a little bit of perks that we get for our special marginalized status, but a complete spiritual, physical, emotional, sexual, financial, political equality. The Vedas talk about it, but it was forgotten for a while in India. So the India I grew up in was patriarchal. There was misogyny. And for women who can't keep up appearances, can't keep a bad marriage, the front of a bad marriage look good, women like me, we can become targets of shame, we can become targets of blame. And even if nobody shames and blames us because we are lucky to have those kind of people around us, we become targets for guilt. And I I experienced guilt from within me and that guilt was a monster. It really brought me down. It made me reject my beauty, my body, my sexuality. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's big in, in uh-huh. patriarchal yeah. societies. Yeah, yeah. Right. And I find it interesting that your family, they still decided to pass the baton to you because, you know, despite you being a woman. So I, it, that's a little bit contradictory. So why did they Isn't decide it? that you were the chosen one? to pass on well, this this wisdom? As I mentioned in the book, my family was progressive, not from modern versions of progressiveness, but the Vedas themselves, the original teachings, 
which are not really reflected in the society of India today, are progressive. They are they are gender neutral. There is a role for women. Women were women have contributed to the Vedas, known as Rishikas. They were yeah. spiritual women called Brahmavadini. So I come from a tradition which recognized not only women but um, non-binary genders too as equal. That's what the Vedas do. In fact, we have Hindu gods, many of them, who represent the spectrum of gender and not just the male and female gender, as I mentioned some of it in uh, like the Ardhanarishwara, half male, half female god. Or we have Mohini, where Vishnu is a male god, um, becomes a woman from time to time. So it's it's interesting that we have all this understanding of gender being a spectrum. So my grandfather was, and my family operates from those higher ideals, but those ideals did not prepare me. So they chose me prior to my marriage and they didn't, but they didn't prepare me to walk out of my home into less progressive households, less progressive ideals where my spiritual accomplishment and my gender both were doubtful and questionable and had to follow a line. Like, yes, you studied all those cancer scriptures, but big deal, wash the dishes now. And let's see yeah. how you do <laughs> how just, you do those. So yeah. they judge you based on completely different criteria. Completely yeah. different. I understand. <laughs> yeah. And yes. and my preparation was not there. I had I I I'm I'm like, why did my family do this to me? But I now know that yeah. I was really being shepherded into the heart of darkness and to either either become that darkness and learn from it or to wake up from that darkness like mm. sooner than later. Yeah. And and so I think that's, all a that jerk. that's something we all face, right? We all face. Yeah. And that's all my grandfather told me, my guru told me before I because he 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 told me when I was getting engaged, he said, you're about to enter a practical classroom for all your teachings. I was a bit excited about my marriage and finally wearing some pretty clothes for a change. So I thought, I don't know what he's saying, but now I understand that it was it was subsuming my identity. How and I had to reclaim it by finding something deeper. How old were you yes. when you... Uh, wait, I was in young? my early 20s. I was just oh, a yeah. baby. Right? Mm, yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Acharya. Um, so, so I guess you learn more and more about the goddesses and how they manifest both within yourself and other women. So you actually mentioned three Hindu goddesses in the book. Can you please walk us through each one and what they represent when it comes to feminine empowerment? Durga represents personal power. So she stands up in her own mythology for self-respect, self-value, and self-acceptance. And we see her fighting those battles for the respect, value, and acceptance of all beings, especially women. So connecting with the Durga storytelling, Durga symbolism, helps us reprioritize why we are working for crumbs 
of love or respect or recognition in our relationships? And why can't we become the source of that for ourselves and then thereafter become a source of light and love for others, really? She's not just an angry goddess like people think, but she's not afraid of anger. So I have a book called Raging is a Goddess Thing to Do because you know how raging has a bad rep? Yeah, and uh, it's considered masculine, woman. isn't it? It's, it's a masculine, masculine thing. Yeah. yeah. But the goddess uh, distinguishes between entitled, stupid, ignorant anger, which destroys us, to conscious and superconscious anger. Conscious anger informs us, protects us, and superconscious anger makes us do things for the world and make everybody safe. I feel like I channeled superconscious anger to write Roar Like a Goddess. Because though my life had become better now, I've chosen a different partner. I'm living a dream life. That doesn't mean the work is done, you know? Um, so that's Durga for you. And she's a single goddess. She She's unpredictable. She changes from being fierce to sweet, compassionate, um, to, to calm and meditative, a yogini-like, a blissful goddess to a passionate goddess. So what we can also learn is to accept all dimensions of ourselves, Celine. You know, growing up, you might have realized that you're being told to follow a protocol, a behavioral protocol, but then you have to suppress those parts of you which are not accepted. But I feel like she guides us all to be these multi-spectrum, unpredictable goddesses. <laughs> I like that word. I want to reclaim hopefully, it. Hopefully not bipolar. <laughs> <laughs> if that's what it takes to wake up, then go for it. You know? But the 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 socialized version of sanity is what I'm I'm speaking up against, really. Yeah. Lakshmi is quite the opposite. She's alluring, yeah. beautiful. Everyone sexual. loves Lakshmi. Everyone loves Lakshmi. Yeah. She has a golden aura. Yeah. But what she's really presenting is what she's bringing to home is the self-value part, the self-respect part. Yes, goddess Durga, but the self-value goes deeper with Lakshmi. And everybody says she's the goddess of abundance. But when I look at her mythology and I share it in the book, I realize how she too, despite being Lakshmi, was being taken for granted. And and then she she left that situation and when she returned, she came back as an elevated divine mother for the whole world. And so why did she come into greater abundance? And why is she the goddess of abundance? Because underneath that, she values herself. She doesn't put up a diminishing rejection and, you know, prioritizing others over herself. So I thought there were lessons to learn for us women, Selena. Yeah, that's inner abundance, isn't it? Inner abundance. And, you know, growing up in India, like daughter-in-laws were told, you're Lakshmi for us. So keep smiling and keep giving us male heirs. Just give us gifts. Um, but I really hope Indian women read this book too, or any women like at work or in, I found that in whether it's a feudal society or a modern society, women are expected to be gift bearers of their smiles, of their nurturance, of their sexuality. Well, before we become embodied Lakshmis, can we value ourselves and enhance our own abundance? That's the message of the book. How do we do that? How do Acharya? we do that? 
Well, this is where the book comes in. For example, we can bring our life into balance where it's not just material, but spiritual too, and not just spiritual, but material too. That's one way to value ourselves, to meet all our dimensions, all our needs. That's one way. Another way is to ensure that we cultivate some degree of contentment within us so that we are not grasping and seduced by promises outside us. We cultivate a lotus within us of inner enoughness, inner okayness, inner goodness. Self-value also comes from recognizing that I have radical goddess value. I may be having a learning curve right now. I maybe have behaved in stupid ways, but that doesn't mean that I'm alien from the divine feminine and that I have inherent value that I'm not going to allow to drop. And that's how I picked myself up from guilt. Um, it's like, okay, then if I've made mistakes, that's okay because I'm a divine feminine container and I have room to carry those mistakes and yet shine with another light. But if I'm only a collapsed human woman, then I have no, I don't know what to do with the guilt. I don't, I don't have place. So there are these teachings in the goddess book that help us elevate our value and just reading those help us. Yeah. You also talk about the importance of setting healthy boundaries. Is that something that uh, Lakshmi uh, I think I think it's all goddesses, but I bring right. it up more in terms of Durga because I, okay. although, although I would say that we see Lakshmi setting boundaries. So since these really are different facets of the one goddess, yeah. I, it, it, it's a matter of you know, being nitty gritty, who it belongs to, but goddesses have boundaries. That's period. Yeah. And boundaries are an act of compassion to the whole world because we tell them how to behave with us. Yeah, because we need to take care of ourselves first, right? Yes, yes. Some people think that's selfish, right? To build boundaries and to take time for yourself is, um, because women are supposed to be available at all times and for everyone. But, and, and so this is the conditioned um, conditioned noise that we have to tune out. And this right. is how we become Saraswati. Because she's shown playing her music, but that's really her inner music. And you can hear your inner music when you've shut out all those sounds of you should be. Should-haves, would-haves, could-haves for women especially. Yeah, and she also symbolizes the arts, right? Yes. Yeah. When we become anchored in our own in our music, in our in the and we own the voice within ourselves, I think our artistry of life comes to the forefront, Celine. That's when we become so creative. I'm I'm now known for my teaching, my speaking, my writing. Where were all these great, amazingly exponentialized skills 20 years ago when I was still caught <laughs> in that in the hustle of survival because of my gender, because of where I come from? But why is it also blossomed now? Because despite my gender and despite any obstacles, I'm now tuned in. Makes a difference. And you might have 
met many, many guests, and you may be one such person yourself, where you've seen a radical difference in your creativity, the more self-acceptance and the more you trust your gut and your instinct and you cultivate wisdom. That's what Saraswati, the final goddess, represents. Mm. And what was that process like for you? Did it happen gradually or was it one day you just felt like this wellspring of creativity, you know, percolating within you? I think it's gradual. Mm-hmm. I think there may be days when I felt more attuned with it, but to be realistic, it is a gradual process. It's it's um it's a it's these are these um latent potential and latent creativity within us that slowly comes to the forefront as our mind becomes more peaceful, our heart becomes more expansive. And we have this concept in Hinduism called anugraha. It's a Sanskrit word, which literally means where when you engage with the goddess, the goddess comes and engages with you. So I feel like my individual self is more supported and blessed by my universal self, which represents the divine feminine. So there is definitely something intangible, indescribable that Celine, I can't explain the process, but I feel that that spiritual divine blessing or vibration or frequency, I don't know. But there's something going on here that that goes on for a lot of people. And you need not be Hindu to experience it. You need to just be spiritual to experience it, whatever be your tradition. Hmm. And how do you tap into the vibrations of these goddesses? Is there anything specific that you do? Like if you want to call on Lakshmi, for example, are there is there anything that you do to kind of summon her? The book has many, many ways to connect with the wisdom of the goddess, but to call forth her frequency, there is um, a special um, sound, and it's called shreem, shreem. It's a seed sound. And just as you think it or say it softly, feel it in your heart. So let's do it five times, but really like with feeling, shreem. Shreem, 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 shreem. And feel a golden energy increase as I say, shreem, shreem. And you'll start feeling um, a changed vibration. It really picks you up, yeah. So there are many, many practices that can help us activate the frequency of the goddess. Great, great. Thank you for sharing that. Um, And one last question. Uh, Let's talk about... Roaring, you know, using our voice. And the Vedas do teach us a lot about using our voice boldly. And women, as women, we have been brought up in a uh, fundamentally, like in a patriarchal society. So tell us, what are some of the teachings that uh, that we can glean from the Vedas so that we can learn to really tap into our inner power and kind of use our voice? We've been told that in the Vedas that our voice is a mirror to our soul. And the more we can align our voice with our feelings, you know, sometimes how we just speak, 
Yes. We're just speaking and we're disconnected from our feelings and our feelings are disconnected from our thought. So they're saying gain power by aligning your feelings, your thoughts with your speech, like everything should be aligned. So become in short a truth teller. Pause to feel your feelings. Discern to think through your thoughts. And maybe not in an everyday sense, you're just asking for a glass of water, sure. But when you're going to have that important conversation with your partner or your parent or your child, or you're about to write a blog or a Twitter tweet, you want to like really check in with your feelings check in with uh, your most lasting final thought and then express your speech. These are the teachings of the Vedas that helps us roar. And so many times we women, we suppress our gut feelings. In fact, we've been told of it. We have too many emotions, too many feelings. Be practical, be pragmatic. And we start parroting the sounds of society. But instead, if we could just really touch base with our innermost feelings, and and confirm that this is what we're thinking, our voice will have more and more shakti, more and more power, the power to bring back better things for us, more respect for us, more acceptance for our own self. I hope that helps. Yeah. So tune into your feelings and yes. trust them. Yes. Wonderful. Oh, thank you so much, Acharya. It has been such a pleasure talking to you. I really appreciate you sharing your wisdom with all of us. Thank you, Celine. It was total pleasure to be with you here. Yeah. So I just want to quickly mention anyone interested in learning more about um, Acharya's new book, Roar Like a Goddess, you can find it in all major bookstores. And if you want to know more about her events and her services, please visit her website, acharyashunya.com. The link will be in the description. All right, Acharya, it's been an absolute pleasure and I hope you have an excellent rest of your day. Thank you. Bye. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed what you just heard, please subscribe to my podcast and feel free to share it with your friends and family. Take care and speak soon.